Hello everyone and welcome to the Talk Music Podcast, where we chat everything and anything to do with the world of music, and occasionally focus on topics a little bit unrelated. My name is Scott Kibbe, I'm a drummer turned comedy singer-songwriter and now apparently a podcaster. You're going to hear me chat to many people, but more often than not, it will be fellow musicians having conversations about their careers and lives within arguably the greatest art form in the world. And you get this for free, that's right, for free at scottcowie.com. Guest on the podcast this week, Mr. Steve Craddock from Ocean Colour Scene, the man who also plays guitar with Paul Weller, the man who's had a hugely successful solo career for a number of years now. 1989 was the year that Ocean Colour Scene started. They've been on the road for 25 years, a phenomenal amount of success. And also this week, we've got Barry Caulfield with us. He was on last week and, um, well, the listeners liked him, so we've brought him back. Excellent. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me, Scott. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it never ceases to amaze me how cheesy Barry Caulfield is <laughs> But we can accept that because he's a huge fan of Ocean Colour Scene And excited to hear what Steve Craddock's got to say I mean, you've been a fan for a while, right? Yeah, can't wait, can't wait to hear The Riverboat song, all those great songs for that first album Has just kept their career going for a long time That interests me because I can't remember the last time they had great chart success And I mean this in a really nice way Because what's kept them going is a live thing and you've been touring for ages, you always see Ocean Colour Scene playing here, there I, and everywhere. I a really hard working band. Yeah, very, very hard working. There is, there is, uh, anywhere you see the the big festivals around the UK and things like that, they're still going strong. I've, I've actually never seen them live. That's that's the shame in, in my case. I've never seen them live. I would have loved to have seen them live. I could still can, obviously, but... Uh, have you seen them? I've like? seen them a few times. I've seen them. I've done a couple of like festivals with them. When I say that, I've been on the bill like you know, eleven o'clock in the morning, while they've been headlining typically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I seen them play at Middlesbrough once, and they were excellent. Um, the crowd were just getting right into it. And um, what's interesting, if you look at his schedule, and we're going to talk to Steve about this today, he's always on the road. You know, this year he's 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 well, at the tail end of last year, Ocean Colour Scene were playing all yeah. the big gigs across the country. Um, he, he's got his solo. Um, thing happening um, kind of summer time and towards the end of the year again he's either out with Paul Weller or either out Ocean Colour Scene so I'm interested to talk to him about the success that he's had over the years and interested to about his scheduling because it must be a nightmare it might, he must I, he's, he, do you think he maybe has a personal assistant that helps him with it like a receptionist I don't know that but we're sure as heck going to find out today it's going to be a good one Hi Scott How's it going Steve alright? Yeah really good thanks yeah great Good stuff. Just opening a beer. <laughs> Just opening a beer. Listen, yeah. you've, been, you've been in Scotland recently. You had a fantastic show at the Barrowlands. Ocean colour scene in Scotland. You always seem to have a great relationship up here. What's going on there? Am I, am I right in saying that? Yeah, it's yeah, it's quite amazing. I, I really don't... You'd have to ask the people who have sort of secretly come to see us over the years, I guess. But um, when... Let me go back to sort of 1994, I guess it was... Uh, no, I was just going to chat with someone. I'm the lad in school. <laughs> but uh, what was I going to say? But it was around 94. We did this tour. I think we just... I think we were about to just chart. We'd done Top of Pops and then we came to school to do um, a tour. And it was just tiny things like Granite, Combinole, and I can't think of any other places. But um, we sort of did that tour. And from that day onwards, we've never looked back, really, I suppose. 
It's been great because I can remember like years ago, I was trying to find this on the net, but um, I can remember <coughs> doing like five nights at the Barrowlands. Do you remember that? We're talking about 10, maybe 15 years ago. Um, it was something. Yeah, I do remember it. Yeah, because it was. Yeah, I do. It is because I, I had the guy who. Um, Mark Mackey is the guy who's always worked in Scotland. And from the beginning, from the off, really. And yeah, it was his idea to do that. And we thought it was crazy, to be honest with you. But uh, yeah, he gave me a little plaque, actually, with the five different tickets in it, which is. Uh, it's quite amazing, really, thinking about that. Yeah, I can remember it as because, well, because that. That was the big talk, Steve, at the time. Everybody was saying, you know, why aren't they playing a bigger arena? But it did seem quite cool, you know, that it was doing, it was five nights in the same place and they all sold out as well. I mean, it's quite astonishing, really, when you think about it. Yeah, it is. Uh, plus, I mean, I don't think they've been the sort of band that pulls off the SEC, to be honest with you. I don't think many bands do. I think they just do it because it's better money. Yeah, because, I mean, there's always been the debate, hasn't there? The, the, the sound's not as good in that building as it is in the Barrowlands. You get that intimacy and everything, you know? Yeah, I think the Barrowlands is... I mean, I know a lot of bands probably say this, but I think it's the best... I think it's the best gig in the world, really. Yeah. And, uh... Because it's still got that faded sort of glamour. It's still got a spun dance floor. It's, uh... Kind of, you know... It is a little bit of a shithole, but it's a beautiful shithole. I think, I think we're going to use that quote, and I've got no doubt the Barrowlands are going to use that quote as well. A beautiful shithole. That's, that's so eloquently yeah. put. I love that. Let's move on. Well, you know, I'm, I mean, I mean it's, it's, a, it's a one-off thing, you know, the atmosphere that I've, you know, that I've seen in those gigs. Of, uh, I mean, I said it's a non Let's move on then anyway. Where are we going? Yeah. I mean, let's talk about another another really famous gig that you've done up here as well. The Stirling Castle gig. I mean, in many ways... I, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but that was the gig where everybody just went like that. And, you know, they, how's that going to go? Are they going to sell that out? And, it, and the DVD get released or the video at the time. And I was watching it the other day. I mean, what are your memories of that gig? Um, I don't remember a lot, if I'm honest with you. We were all kind of, sort of riding high and off our bollocks <laughs> back in the day then, I think. But uh, I, can, I can remember playing the gigs, obviously... And uh, it's just kind of, we got to that stage where, uh, you know, it was, we never thought we'd sell it out. We didn't do three nights in the end, right? And uh, it's kind of that thing that's just, it's a scary situation, really, you know, that you, you sort of play in those big, big venues. I don't know what to say, really. It's kind of like, I think we all was all sitting in it. I think we was very nervous, and we sort of hit behind it by getting so you're riding high at that time obviously a, a brilliant time for music particularly in the UK yourselves Oasis right at the forefront of everything that was going on but let's go back a little bit there's a period of four years between the first two albums and after the first album am I right saying that you guys got dropped what was going on there Steve? Um, well we uh, we left the Fontana deal because a guy called Dave Bates was just pissing us about you know he was it was just um it wasn't working for us. I mean, we made we made that first album, and that guy, the A and R guy, Dave Bates, he was he would kind of phone up in his car with a car speaker phone on, what have you, and he would suggest mix how the track should be mixed. And he was sort of so we spent a lot of money on that first album, and it just sounded like a good advert for digital reverb. 
Right. I mean, the songs weren't that strong anyway, to be to be honest. So we walked out on that deal, and basically we went back to Bernie, and then we all signed on the goal. And then it was not long after that that um, I started working with Paul. Mm-hmm. So what we would do, me and Simon, basically would we'd be at this uh, we'd be at this little studio, Bob Lamb Studio, who produced the first UV40 album. So he gave us like two little rooms in his place, and. Um, we got given some equipment from Andy McDonald, who used to run Go Discs and then Independiente. He gave me a mixing desk, a reel-to-reel 16-track. So we set that up in that room, and, and Simon kind of wrote what would become, or definitely 75% of Moses Souls, and about five of the four final tracks for Marshall Reddy. So we just, me and Simon would sit there and demo it, demo the songs each day for something to do, really. That's that's what I sort of giggled then. Great stuff. Bear with us a second, Steve. We're just going to advertise some of our previous episodes. Previous episodes. This podcast right now is previous one of many available episodes. to you at scottcowie.com. Click on podcasts or scottcowie.com forward slash podcasts. Episode 1, we've got Glenn Matlock from The Sex Pistols. Episode 2, Huey Morgan from The Fun-Loving Criminals. Episode 3, Sandy Tom. Episode 4, Brian Ray, who plays guitar for Paul McCartney. Episode 5, Ori Anthe, amazing female guitarist. Episode 6, Bob Jacobs, the head spokesman from NASA. Episode 7, Dr. Phil Toll, who's Metallica's therapist. Episode 8, Graeme Clark and Graeme Duffin from Wet, Wet, Wet. Episode 9, Andy McKee. And episode 10 is this one, Steve Craddock from Ocean Colour Scene. All available for you at www.scottkiwi.com. Back on the Top Music Podcast here with Steve Craddock from Ocean Colour Scene. Steve, Ocean Colour Scene has going around for a long, long time now, so you've experienced some vast changes within the industry during your time. You've recently said in an interview that a record deal doesn't matter so much anymore for bands. Would you care to elaborate on that just now? Um, well, kind of, you needed... There was independent record labels, I guess, back then. Of course there was. But I don't think the record label, as in the whole industry, has totally fallen on its arse, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean there's still sort of the odd glimmer of it, as you know, I like the way that people are still really keen on doing vinyl and they spend a lot of time on getting the heavyweight vinyl, working on the artwork. So, you know, and the passion is still there for bands. I'm not saying that's disappeared, but the framework in which you could release things um, kind of isn't there anymore. So it's, you know, it's, you know, it's cyclical, isn't it? It happens every now and then, I guess. So I suppose, would you say it was, I mean, there, I suppose there's different ways, ways of looking at it. The record industry now, um, it is what it is, but it's easier for bands to get the product out there in a way and, you know, straight onto YouTube. But do you think it's more negative than it is positive generally? No, I don't. I think it's, well, I think it's, I think it's 50-50 to be honest with you. And you can, you can sit where you want on it. Mm. I mean, the whole thing about, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of, we, we all record on laptops now. And, and in a way, the, I'm only starting to realise this myself, you know, the whole recording thing was a totally skilled job back in the day, as in was mastering an album and mixing an album and engineering an album. And that, that you know, those industries have gone by the wayside as well. And I think people are making, they're just making different music. 
But number one, those jobs have gone. And number two, I think that the music sounds thinner, definitely. Mm-hmm. But, um, it, you know, it is what it is. I think, it, you know, it can still get the message over. I mean, it's like, I saw someone the other day, we used to, back in my day, I would listen to stuff on cassettes. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you, if you think about the quality of cassettes, they're, they're fucking awful, aren't they? But, it, you know, it, did, it didn't matter really to us because we just listened to it anyway. You know, you listen to songs, you listen to the message, don't you, and the melody. Mm-hmm. So... I don't want to sound like an old grump, really. No, it's absolutely, it's it's fine you're talking about, I mean, you mentioned the songs there that you like to listen to, so I'm keen to talk about your influences. Um, and I, I think it's it's abundantly clear Steve Marriott has got to be a big influence in you, right? Uh, yeah, the small faces, all, I mean, all of them. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, all, all, in fact, as you probably know, all the great 60s music I've always loved. Um, I really love the Zombies, um, Odyssey and Oracle album. Uh, obviously the Beatles, the Stones, the Who, uh, Steve Marriott, obviously Ronnie Lane, and then and then sort of the Northern Soul stuff, but then also the two tone stuff, you know, in the eighties in the Midlands, that was always a big thing. The first UB40 album was a really really big album for us all up there, I think. And um, I still think Ali Campbell's one of the best singers in the country. You know, I think he's brilliant, even though it's all gone sort of ticked up for him. And um, what other influences? Then I guess there was, I used to go and travel around the country to go and see the Lars, who I adored. I just thought they were just, you know, before the album came out, I just thought they were phenomenal. And then, um, then it was the Stone Roses, obviously, and I went to see them uh, in a thousand capacity. Then you could be Irish Centre in Birmingham, and they just totally blew me away and made everything um, kind of up to date for me, really. It was before we were all sort of, Backdated old mods listening to old stuff, you know, with a beat, the beat, the, um, the sort of jam era of modernism, or whether it be the original sort of blue beat or jazz. And uh, it kind of, and I like that linear of the, of the mods going to the football thing, you know, when Liverpool got into the into Europe, and then all the Gabici and all the sort of the casual wear came back, and the, and the Farrers, and apart from the moustaches and permed hair. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the way that that sort of, that kind of influenced it until the Stone, and Stone Roses were part of that as well, I think. If you look at Wade Manny, he brought into that sort of football streetwear and mod into the Stone Roses. So, um, and then other influences after that, I guess, would be, um, I thought the Libertines were great. Obviously, the Oasis, before them, they were kind of, I think that kind of totally changed the nation, really. Yeah. Uh, and to sort of see that happen was quite extraordinary. And I think it took bands so long to not, bands coming up to not sound like Oasis. I think that was kind of, uh, but the Libertines, as I was saying, sorry, but um, they kind of smashed that, I think. Absolutely. And they inspired way, you know. Yeah. So, um, Is that enough? Influences. No, it's great. It's it's really really good stuff. It's a it's a great insight, Steve. Um, obviously earlier on we mentioned Paul Weller. Um, and you touched on that briefly. That must have been an honour to get approached by him. And I mean, you were you were really young at the time, weren't you? It was it was incredible, really. Yeah, it's, it still is. I mean, you know, the idea that I can play in his band, and um, I'm really excited about it. You know, I was by it. And I just hope that, you know, I'll always be able to do something that catch me as a band member. 
know. Yeah, because I'm I'm keen to know. I mean, your schedule is it's just outrageous, really. You've got all your you've got your solo tour this year in Ireland, and we're gonna we're gonna have all the dates for everybody. You've all, always toured motion colour scene, of course, and you've got Weller. I mean, is there a lot of double bookings? Is it a stress trying to fit all this in? How does it all work? Well, we just have to kind of plan carefully around it. I mean, obviously, Paul puts his dates in, and then. I don't know really. I mean, it's just it's seen to have worked. I've been playing with Paul for twenty years now, so we just we we make it work so we can do so you know so I can do things. Great stuff. A little bit. What off an the unglamorous point. answer that is. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, little bit off the point, but I've got to ask this: James Buckley from the In Betweeners. You've worked with him musically. I'm keen to know how did this all happen. Um. How did that happen? Um, I, t- I met him in Manchester Hotel one night and he'd been DJing up there. And I, I think he might have come to the next Ocean Colourson gig on the next night in Manchester. And then the, the next... When was it? It was when I was recording P-City West. Um, I was recording down in Devon at a place called Deep Mrs. Studios. And he came down with Claire, his girlfriend, and they were just going to come for a couple of days. Just to, And we had this really beautiful, like, haunted cottage down there where we'd stay and um, they kind of ended up staying for a good week and a half I think maybe longer and um, so we just hung out a lot and played you know made some nice food in the evening time and played music throughout the day and the night and were, it were you doing what I would beautiful. do and were you doing what I would do and constantly quoting from the end between us yeah <laughs> yeah of course I was <laughs> and uh I don't know how annoyed he gets with it, really, but he's, he's all right. He's, yeah, he has a laugh about it. Excellent. <laughs> Listen, last question for you, Steve. Young bands, new bands out at the moment. Who's doing it for you? Who you listen to? Is there anybody that's kind of inspiring you and you think, right, they've, you know, they're going to be big, they're going to make an impact? Anybody at all? Uh, I don't know. I've just heard Andy Croft's new album, The Moons, uh, which I think is really, really good. Uh, what else have I heard? I don't know, I can't think off the top of the head to be honest with you. Uh, the last, I thought it was a really great song, was uh, Bat for Lashes. Right. I thought that album was, I really liked her voice. And, uh, Um, I kind of like Miss. I don't know, to be honest with you. I'm, I can't think of the top of my head. No, that's great, Steve. Fantastic stuff. But listen, we'll let you get away just now. It's been great talking to you. Um, very best of luck with the tour coming up. All right. Well, nice one. Nice to speak to you, Scott. We're back right now with Barry Caulfield in the studio. How are we, Barry? Good, Scott. Thanks. He's got his bass in hand. Yeah. We're going to play I'll Name a Song. And then you play it. I'll name a song and then you play it. I'll name a song and then you play it. I know that song you just played. Cause ten seconds ago, I just said it. Barry, are you ready to rock the house town? Ready to rock, Scott. Ready to do it. I'm going to name a song and you're going to make an attempt to play that song. Right, okay. Do you understand the rules? I understand the rules, For yes. legal reasons, I have to ask you that. Right. <laughs> I've got a total of five songs. Right, okay. Five out of five. 
Uh, I'm going to go. I think I'm going to get one out of five. I, d- I just don't know what you've picked. Are you going to try and get five out of five? I'll try my very hardest to get five out of five. Your family's listening, your wife's listening. I know. You don't want your wife thinking, this is going to be I my... need to dump the zero and get with the hero. <laughs> Cowie's on the money, Barry isn't. You know, we can't have that, Barry, you know? <laughs> yep, yep, I understand. More pressure. You don't want to let your family down, Barry. I don't. No, your friends, your work colleagues. You know, everybody that's brought me through my musical career is, is listening to this probably and going to think, why? This is the this is the winning penalty in the Champions League final. You could either be whoever somebody else that scored right, it or you right, could okay. be John Terry. Right, right, right. We've got it. Let's just do it. Do it. You ready? Hit me with it. Do you understand? The Unders- rules? Understand the rules. Good to go. Yeah. Feeling good? <laughs> right, I'm doing it. Right, here we go. We're gonna go. First song. Final countdown by Europe. Give us a synth line and the melody. So there's more jazz notes in there than the flaming the Buddy Rich band. Something like that, huh? I wish, but Stevie Wonder, let's do it. Right, uh, right, uh, yeah. Beautiful, no, perfect. Thank God for that. Chic, good times, let's oh, do it. Right, okay. Uh... Beautiful. Woo! Let's do It's Not Unusual. By Tom Jones. Give us a melody or a mixture of both, like in a bass line with a bit of melody over a tricky business, this, ladies gonna, and gentlemen. I'm going to stick with E, because E seems to be the friendly key for bass players. Uh, the, da, the nice da, key. Da, da, A nice jazz version of that. There were a couple of notes that weren't quite the actual melody, no. but that's the thing about jazz. No, it's so you play wrong notes yep. twice and they sound like the right notes. <laughs> Sorry if I've offended all you jazzers out there. All five of them. You've not offended me. Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple. Classic, isn't it? It's an absolute classic. Please don't play this wrong. <laughs> Just give us a solo. No, just give us a solo to end it. Oh, nah, nice that wee double. I tried, I that I one, tried that wee that. I... Barry Caulfield on the bass, a very good sport. We're throwing him in at the deep end, yeah. and he's kept himself alive, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> We've given him armbands, and yeah. he's, he's been all right. 
Fantastic bass player. Right. In a series, no, Barry's genuinely one of the best bass players I've ever heard in my life. Oh, thanks, Scott. Great thanks bass player. Um, go and check him out. Add him on Twitter. Follow him on Twitter, sorry. Add him on Facebook and all that mother jazz. Barry Caulfield. I'll name a song and then you play it. I'll name a song and then you play it. I know that song you just played. Because ten seconds ago, I just said it. Big thanks to Steve Craddock. Big thanks to Barry Caulfield for being part of this week's show. There are still tickets available if you want to see me as part of Glasgow International Comedy Festival. On the 20th of March, I will be in Malone's Bar. Um, tickets are £5. Music at gmail.com. Drop me an email if you're interested in tickets. are going really, really fast. That's Music at gmail.com. And we will see you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>